Psalm 124, on page 600 and something or other. Um, I'm sure you've got it opened up instantaneously like that. Uh, Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the things we've just been singing about, that they're true, that, um, that the Lord Jesus willingly went to the cross for us. Though he was sinless, he paid the price for us. So we're set free. And Father, we thank you that as a result of that, you've poured out your Holy Spirit into our hearts that one of the things the Spirit does is to open up your word to make it living and active in our lives. So we pray that as we look at Psalm 124 tonight, you'll be doing exactly that. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start out tonight by talking about something that some people love and other people stinks. Um, That's the whole idea of the inspirational quotes, Um, whether they're on posters or internet memes, things that get emailed around, uh, things that get posted on Facebook and Instagram, that kind of thing. Um, I don't mind them. Some of them are actually pretty good, aren't they? Uh, I grew up at a time when the motivational posters were all the rage and they were going into school classrooms and in offices and that kind of thing. Uh, Here's one example of that kind of poster. It's uh, about attitude. And it says that a consistent positive mental attitude is a force that enables the beholder to overcome even the deepest of hindrances. I should probably read that differently, actually. It's kind of, it it requires a more mellow and, no. Um, You you get the idea, though, doesn't it? I mean, there's something about that that is actually kind of true. Um, A positive attitude can really make a big difference when you're facing challenges. You think of uh, Daria Gavrilova last night in the Hopman Cup final. Um, It was a tense time, yet... She had the right attitude and she prevailed and Australia, after 17 years, now holds the Hopman Cup again. Anyway, enough tennis from me. I promise not to talk about it anymore. So there are, there are those types of ones. There's also the, um, the parodies, the demotivational posters. Here's one that's been doing the rounds recently that I really like. Uh, if you don't get it, you need to watch the first Star Wars movie. Um, some... Some of the quotes, though, that you see that go round in, in different memes are probably guilty of a little bit of overreach, like this one from Walt Disney. If you can dream it, you can do it. Well, actually, Walt, that's probably not true. I have dreamt about flying as a kid a lot. It, it hasn't happened. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, th- this is what these posters, these memes are supposed to do. They're to kind of inspire us, to lift us up above the ordinary, so maybe, maybe they've got their place. Like this one here. Um, this one is a play on words and it's kind of cute and kind of inspiring, maybe stretching it a bit far, far but it's kind of cool. So impossible, if you look at it a bit differently, actually says I'm possible. Cute. And I think the reason those things appeal to us is that we're wired to need some kind of inspiration. It's the way God's put us together. Um, We can get kind of stuck in a rut 
And if someone can show us the stars and say, reach for those, then we're more likely to get moving. And that, that's a good thing. I don't mind these things. But, you know, sometimes that overreach actually goes a bit far. And uh, if you take them seriously, they can, well... I want to show you another poster that I think looks really great. Uh, It's got a great quote attached to it from Gandhi. So, strength does not come from physical capacity. It comes from an indomitable... That is a really complicated word to say. Indomitable will. Now, that's that's cool. And the photograph is fabulous, isn't it? Um, I'm using the word fabulous with both meanings there. So... It is a great photo, it's composed well, it's eye-catching. You go, wow, that's cool. But it's also fabulous in that it, it's not true. It's total fantasy. There is no way that ant has got those biscuits, especially arranged the way they are, balanced on his back as he walks across the picnic table. And the, the main caption that they've put, nothing is impossible, really is a bit of an overreach from what Gandhi's trying to say. I want to show you two more quotes that do the rounds sometimes on the internet. Inspirational, yes, but I wonder if you think they might also be from the realm of fantasy. Here's the first one. There's only one thing that makes a dream impossible to achieve. The fear of failure. Really? Like, is there really only one thing that makes a dream impossible to achieve? I I can think of more than one. And is... The fear of failure, the only thing that's going to do that? Here's the next one. This one says, you cannot say no to life. You have to fight back and beat the odds. So far, so good. That's encouraging. But then it goes on to say, you've got to take your stand because nothing is stronger than you. Not a single problem of yours. Nothing is stronger than you. I don't think I believe that. Do you believe it? They might sound terrific motivational words, but is it sensible to actually try to live that way? One of the reasons that I love Psalm 124 is that it is inspirational in the truest kind of sense, and it's also very honest. So it doesn't try to fudge the truth like these things, It's inspirational by being honest. So it's kind of like a lighthouse. Uh, Like a lighthouse, it illuminates a very serious danger for us so that we don't come to grief. It's very honest about problems. It reminds us that there are some problems and some dangers that we simply can't overcome. And you see that in the first five verses of Psalm 124. But it's honest and inspirational at the same time. So it reminds us in verses 6 to 8 that while it's true that there are some very real problems we can't overcome, there is someone who is much stronger than our problems. There is someone who, despite all the very real dangers that we face, there is someone who can provide us with safety and protection. So I want to look at the psalm in those two parts And we'll start with the idea of honesty. That's the picture in the first five verses. So have a look at verse 1. Verse 1 begins, If the Lord had not been on our side, then when we came up against the enemy, if we had to face that enemy on our own without God's help, 
the psalmist says, then let's be honest, we would have been toast. Now, I, I want you to notice something about this psalm because this psalm is not just honest, but it is very deliberate in uh, the way it communicates that. Have a look right at the very top, the heading, which is actually a part of Psalm 124, tells us this is a song of ascents. Now, it's part of the group of psalms. You can see them there in this section. We've been looking at quite a few of them over the last few years. A group of psalms that the Israelites traditionally sang together as they journeyed towards Jerusalem, towards the temple for the festivals like Passover. And so in this first verse, you've got to think of this as, as one of those kinds of songs. In this first verse, there, there is an instruction given to the people who are singing. It's as if the song leader begins, if the Lord had not been on our side. And then he kind of calls on the rest of the people to join in and affirm that with him. So he says, if the Lord had not been on our side, let Israel say, if the Lord had not been on our side. Um, in the kind of culture that we know, it's kind of like, it's, if the Lord had not been on our side, and then everyone else goes, if the Lord had not been on our side, what would have happened when men attacked us, when their anger fled against us, the psalm says, disaster. Disaster. Uh, the language that's used is, is the language of being swallowed alive. Think of jaws being engulfed by floodwaters, swept away by a raging torrent. Or if you're in Western Australia at the moment, having the firestorm rush through and completely burn down everything you have with no chance of survival. The psalm begins by deliberately reminding the people of Israel of that truth. That's why it says, let Israel say. You know, you need to get on board with this, everyone. We need to recognise that if the Lord had not been on our side, we would have been toast. So I, I imagine if I'm one of the Israelites on my way to Jerusalem, singing with the other group of people around me, to, we're, we're going to celebrate Passover and we're singing about how if the Lord had not been on our side, the waters would have engulfed us. One of the things that comes to mind for me is something from Israel's past, how God rescued the Israelites from Egypt, how God made a way for them to escape through the Red Sea, through the waters, which then closed in and engulfed the enemy, swept the enemy away. But there are other, other occasions too in Israel's history. So uh, we know from um, 2 Samuel chapter 5, for instance, in the early part of David's reign, the Philistines were still very powerful and they were a mighty army vastly stronger than the Israelites. But God acted to defeat that enemy. Or go back a little bit earlier when David was still a young man and the Philistines were threatening the Israelites and they sent out their champion, Goliath. And everyone was shaking in their boots. No one wanted, no one wanted to confront him. But David went out, trusting in the Lord, and if the Lord had not been on their side, they would have been toast. That's part of Israel's history and the Israelites needed to be reminded of that. I think that's part of the reason this was put down into this poetry, into this song that was repeated again and again. And I think we need to be reminded of that same truth. 
We need to be honest about this. We also have enemies in this life that we cannot possibly defeat. There are very real problems that you and I will all face, some of them quite different to one another, but things that we just won't be able to overcome no matter how positive we make our attitude. We need to be honest about that. We need to remind each other of that. There's one enemy, of course, that's in common for all of us, that's coming for all of us, and that is death. We can't escape that one. The reality is, though, from the Bible, that death is really just the consequence of another enemy. And that great enemy is sin. Sin is ferocious and unrelenting. And it's got every single one of us from the time that we're born. You might not realise that when you look at your own life, you kind of think, yeah, but I'm doing okay, you know. I've got most things under control. I'm, I've kind of, sin, sin's not a big deal for me. But the honest truth is that unless sin is defeated somehow, it will swallow you whole. It will be like a flood, engulf you and sweep you away. It's like if you look to the language in verses 6 and 7, it's, it's like a snare, a fowler's snare, a trap that lures you in and then closes around you and won't let you go. And people try to fight sin off in all kinds of ways, including being religious. But in fact, being religious is, is really very often just a way of struggling so that that net closes tighter and tighter around you. Often, religiosity swells up as pride inside of us. We tell ourselves, well, you know, I'll be okay because I'm more deserving than other people. I'm more righteous than other people because I've done all these things for God that tick the box and make me on God's side. When actually we're just fooling ourselves with that kind of talk. We're just as sinful as anyone else. Maybe we've just become better at compensating for it or hiding it from ourselves, hiding it from other people. And maybe there are some of you here today for whom it's that kind of religious hypocrisy that's made you go, no, you know, Christianity is not for me. Um, Those Christians are hopeless. And you know, you should reject that kind of hypocrisy, absolutely, but just be aware That is not actually what Christianity is like. Real Christianity actually begins with the kind of honesty that we see here in Psalm 124, that Psalm 124 demands of people, that we need to admit we simply do not have the resources to defeat every enemy. We certainly don't have the resources in ourselves to defeat sin and death and the devil. Without God's intervention... We're toast. We're not better than anybody else. We can't, no matter how hard we try, we cannot save ourselves. That sounds pretty grim, but it's not all bad news. Psalm 124, remember, moves on from that honesty to the inspirational part. There is good news in the psalm as well. And it's hinted at, of course, at the beginning, if the Lord had not been on our side... The implication is, yeah, but the Lord is on our side. 
And that's what you see from verse 6. So the singers now sing, Pray, Praise be to the Lord who has not let us be torn by their teeth. We've escaped like a bird out of the fowler's snare. The snare has broken and we have escaped. Uh, that is something to sing with a big smile on your face, isn't it? Praise be to the Lord who has not let us be torn by their teeth. You know, if, it, if the Lord were not on our side, we were toast. But this, this psalm is here to remind the Israelites that they weren't on their own. That even though there were oppressors around them, and if you think of the time of Jesus walking up to Jerusalem, perhaps passing the Roman garrison on the way, seeing all the signs of the imperial rule of yet another nation over your nation, and singing this psalm to say, do you know what though? Praise be to the Lord who's not let us be torn by their teeth. They look back and they say, God did save us from destruction at the Red Sea and he did defeat the Philistines and he did rescue us from Goliath and from all sorts of other enemies. Not because we were particularly deserving. Any Israelite who knows their history would know that's true. It's not because Israel was the best nation that God blessed them, but that God had decided to enter into a relationship with them. He'd made promises to them and he's faithful to his promises. You get a hint of that in the way that this psalm speaks about God. It always uses his name as the Lord, so using the capital letters there. Um, Many of you probably know this, but let me say it just in case you don't. When you see that in the Old Testament section of your English Bible, when you see the Lord in capitals, that's to represent that in the original language, the original Hebrew, the personal name for God is being used, the name that God revealed to Moses at the burning bush when God said to Moses, I've heard my people's cries, I'm going to rescue you out of Egypt, I want you to go and lead the people. And Moses says, how, how will they know that you've sent me? And God says, tell them my name, tell them I am sent you. And that, that is translated sometimes into English as Jehovah, sometimes you'll see it as Yahweh, but most often in English Bibles here is the Lord in capital letters. It's the personal name of God revealed to his people to show that he's with them, that he's faithful to them, that he is the God who comes to those who are trapped and he rescues them. So Psalm 124 is saying, be honest. Remember that without the Lord you're toast but also be thankful. You've got reason to rejoice because be be inspired by the truth that you are not on your own. You are not on your own. God himself is with you. God himself is for you. And if God is for us, who can possibly be against us? That's actually what it says in the New Testament, isn't it? If God is for us, who can be against us? Romans 8, verse 31. The Apostle Paul says, if God is for us, who can be against us? That's inspirational. And he then goes on in that passage to list all kinds of things that fight against us, all kinds of things that are, I suppose you could call, enemies. 
that threaten to overtake us, that threaten to sweep us away like a flood. He talks about trouble, hardship, persecution, famine. He talks about losing everything, including the clothes on your back. He talks about being besieged in war. And then he says, after that long list, he says, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation, none of it will be able to separate us from the love of God. Because if God is for us, who can be against us? Who can come and, and take us away? God is for us. I think Romans 8.31 is kind of the New Testament echo of the last verse of Psalm 124. Verse 8 of Psalm 124 says, Our help is in the name of the Lord, in the name of Yahweh. And in the New Testament, if God is for us, who can be against us? Same idea. In fact, that on itself could be a great inspirational poster. In fact, that is kind of an internet meme (laughs) that goes around. And it's inspiring, but we need to recognise those words on their own are just absolutely meaningless without the words that come immediately afterwards. In Romans 8 verse 32. If God is for us, who can be against us? Well, what use is that if God is not for us? How can you know that God is for you? Romans 8.32 answers that question and it says this, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he also, along with him, graciously, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? It's an expansion of the, if God is for us, who can be against us? But he says, the reason you can know that God is for you is that he did not withhold his own son. Like Psalm 124 encourages the Israelites to look back to times when if God had not been on their side, they would have been annihilated. So that they can look back then and say, well, but God was on our side. And so, yes, our help really is in the name of the Lord even today. Just like Psalm 124 says that, this part of the New Testament says to you and to me, for us to know that God is for us, we need to look back and remember that God gave his son. He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us. If you ever doubt God's love, if you ever doubt God's mercy and forgiveness, maybe that he can't, maybe God can't really forgive me. If you ever doubt God's goodness, look back. If you ever wonder if God is really for you, look back to the cross. Look back to the cross. And I want to say in the context of this psalm, actually you can look back just a little bit further as well. Look back to around about a week or so before the events of the crucifixion. Look back and see Jesus with his disciples making their way up to Jerusalem for the Passover. Look back and see Jesus and his disciples and the crowd making their way to Jerusalem and singing the songs of ascent 
from the Psalms. See Jesus singing the words of Psalm 124. And listen to the confidence and joy that's there in the crowd as they proclaim to each other, having passed Roman guards on the way, praise be to the Lord who has not let us be torn by their teeth. Praise be to God. He's let us, we have escaped like a bird out of the fowler's snare. Praise God, the snare has been broken and we have escaped. They're singing these songs of joy and look back and hear them sing it and think about Jesus singing these words who knows exactly what awaits him when he gets to Jerusalem. See, Jesus knows he's been telling his disciples all the way through for the last couple of years He knows that when he gets to Jerusalem, he is going there precisely so that he will be swallowed alive by that great beast in order to set others free. That he is going to, he's singing the words of the psalm and he knows that for him, he will be torn apart by the teeth. He is going to step straight into the fowler's snare so that through his death, He can be the one who destroys the trap for you and for me and for everyone who puts their trust in Jesus. I think when you see Jesus singing this psalm, when you you see him on the road to Jerusalem singing the words of this psalm and knowing what's going to happen, it completely kind of changes what it means to say God is on our side. To say, if God is for us, who can be against us can sound boastful and proud, can't it? can sound like an arrogant thing to say. For Christians to say, well, everything's going to be fine because God is on my side. It does sound arrogant. But for the Christian, for the person who's genuinely turned away from trying to justify themselves or prove themselves worthy and who's bet everything on God's promise to rescue everyone who trusts in Jesus, for the Christian to say, God is on my side, when you understand that context of what Jesus went through, it's not a boastful thing at all. It's not an arrogant thing. It's actually a confession of humility. See, for the Christian to say, if God is for me, because of what comes in Romans 8.32, for the Christian to say that it, it actually has to be an admission that my sin was so serious and so weighty that Jesus had to die in order to rescue me from it. It's an admission that I can never pay the price. Couldn't possibly do it. I can't defeat that enemy on my own. But like Psalm 124, it's also a a joyful and thankful and heartfelt confession. When we say, if God is for us, who can be against us? It's a joyful, thankful confession that God's loving faithfulness is so big and strong and wide and deep that we know Jesus willingly went to the cross for us. He willingly walked up to Jerusalem singing this psalm. These words, knowing exactly what would happen in order for our rescue to be fulfilled. And I want to ask, when you think about that, doesn't that make your heart glad? 
Doesn't that fill you with a kind of deep joy and hopefulness, even when you face all kinds of challenges? When you think about the, the things that you won't be able to defeat in your life, like the death of someone in your family who you love, like looking at your kids and wondering what on earth is going on in their lives. Like, well, you know what your particular thing is. When you think about how we are rescued, then there is a joy and a hopefulness and a humility that comes with that, so that no matter what comes along, you can say with the psalmist, our help is in the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Let's finish up our our service as we pray together. Our Father, we thank you for um, time spent together around your word this afternoon. And we thank you that even in this simple little psalm that there's such a wonderful depth. We pray that you would help us to be honest with you and with others, to uh, be inspired by the right sorts of things but also to be honest to recognise that there are limits. There are things that we can't defeat but also to be able to say, you know, if the Lord had not been on our side, praise God that Jesus went to the cross, that he's defeated the greatest of enemies. And so God is for us. Who can be against us? Help us know, along with the Apostle Paul, along with uh, men and women who've gone before us, who've remained faithful and hopeful and joyful in the face of danger, that nothing, neither life nor death nor angels nor demons or things present or the past or the future, height nor depth, nothing in all creation is possible, uh, is capable of separating us from your love for us in Christ. Set that hope deep in our hearts, we pray, not just as we leave here now, but for the rest of our lives to come. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.